right. Here we are. Here we are. That's not uh, the line. I know. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> this is hey, Scott. This is Ollie, and this is Science in Between. Science in Between. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about stuff. Talk about stuff. Sometimes science, sometimes not. Sometimes joys. Yeah. Often joys. Often joys. And, you know, sometimes t- teaching. <laughs> yeah. And other stuff. Other stuff. True. Yeah. yeah. Depends on what rabbit hole we go down on any given day. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know? I think that's what you should just call it rabbit holes. Oh, God. Uh, Ollie and Scott, yeah, that- <laughs> do, the, do the rabbit holes. <laughs> this is episode 83, though. 83. 83. That's a lot of episodes. It is a lot of episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, not many podcasts get to 83 episodes. I wonder what the, I wonder what the, the distribution of that looks like, you know, like if you, if you look at all podcasts and, and, and had like a distribution um, graph to see how many people get, you know, cause I think there's a lot of podcasts that get like 10 episodes or, you know, 12 and then just, and some yeah. of them, maybe that's intentional and some of them not, but yeah. They just lose steam, you know? We don't lose steam, man. Look no. at us. You know, I, I would I would say that this is, you know, 83 is a pretty important episode. This would be like, you know, another time where we would have to like really take a moment and just acknowledge that this is an important episode. You think it is, huh? I think is it is. It, is there any reason that you no. think 83 is a particularly important? No. No, just not you have all. that you have a I gut have a, feeling I have a feeling that 83 is, is going to be magical. I got a feeling. <laughs> yes. So what are we talking about today, Scott? Cuz I have Today a- we are not talking about episode 83 and what makes it important, but we are no. talking about equity and um and specifically equity as it pertains to the NRC framework because again this is sort of this is our our final pro- for now, final sure. episode about the NRC framework. So we've talked about the three-dimensional bits. Um, so we've talked about um, disciplinary core ideas and cross-cutting concepts and science and engineering practices. And we had sort of an opening sure. to this. But now we're going to step into one that's uh, an area that's in um, the NRC explicitly as a, as a chapter and a section but um, doesn't normally get exactly the same amount of attention, even though it deserves it, Um, which is just what does all this mean in terms of equity and how do we think about equity in the context of, of 3d science learning? Yeah. And I I think this is, if, if folks have been here for the last 82 episodes and you know that this is something that is, is pretty important to Scott and I, um, we spent uh, a series talking about, you know, different innovations or things that are happening in education around making uh, education more inclusive. So we talked about UDL, we talked about OER, we talked to, like, those are just, you know, practices that uh, are, be, uh, you know, bringing more inclusion um, into the classroom. Um, we talked about, uh, we read that whole, you know, Brian Brown book. Um, we, we did that whole book series where we, yep. friend and, of the show, friend, friend of the of show, show Brian Brown. And, and, and maybe you could effort that, you know, when you had the nurse, if you see Brian, you just have to go, please don't use that word as a verb. That's, what? It's not you, effort. You, yeah. It's not a, <laughs> I did it for you. I heard, I heard, oh my God. <laughs> I did it for you. I'm so angry. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, but that's, but that's, you know, 
if you've been with us for a while, you know, this is uh, part of our, our, you know, one of our core beliefs. And, yeah. and I think that we come round to it lots. And so if you've, if you're new to the, new to this uh, podcast, you just found it, you tripped over it and, you know, you can go back and listen to some other episodes. Certainly the, 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 the last, you know, four or five, we've been talking about the NRC framework. Mm-hmm. I would say that this is the chapter to me that, okay, so first off, it's late in the book, right? It's late yeah. in the, in the, in, in this, it's like, you have to go through the first like 270 odd pages before you get to it. So I think that right there is kind of, you know it communicates something to me right it does Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't lead with it right it's like hey this is something we're gonna and i find the chapter to be a little dated that i would say i mean it's 10 it's 10 years old at the very least right right yeah and while it's like really in the other sections of this book really groundbreaking, really like communicating hey this is something that's important these are the advances that have happened in education and you know this is how we should be changing how we teach science i think those chapters you know they're evergreen right they still hold up today mm-hmm. but i think in this chapter the 10 year span you feel it i feel it when i read it um yep. because i look at it and i i say okay i mean it's it's not so much what is being said but how it's being said mm-hmm. and what's not being said yeah. that's the challenge for me is the stuff that isn't being said like like it doesn't say like i don't think i was like looking through because as i it dawned on me that you know students with disabilities is not explicitly mentioned once in this chapter mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that to me is that's a that's a real challenge for me as someone who's reading a chapter about equity and making you know, science more in- inclusive for all. And they use that term all a lot. I think that's a, they do. but it's also like, I think, you know, I, I wonder whether it was intentional. That to leave out students with disabilities. Well, I don't know because there, there's a, there's some students points identified. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, cause there are a couple of times where I just go, okay, well, why did that? Okay. So like, like this is a, a bold, a bold call out, right. Mm-hmm. So it says all individuals with a small number of notable exceptions can engage in and learn complex subject matter. Mm-hmm. All right. So to, I, I read that and I go, oh, okay. Like if, if they had just taken out that phrase with a small number of notable exceptions. Yeah. You know, like why, why? So this was a team of people who created this. Yeah. And like, I think you wouldn't get art an argument from, from most people if you just said all individuals can engage in and learn complex subject matter. Well, I think, I think you might, right? And I think, I think you might even from people who are in special education. Um, I think, and, and I think not that I think that makes it right. I just think that there are, there are folks in special ed who might make that argument. Um and I think you and I might push back on them, but I do think there are people who might say there are, there are students who, I don't know what, I don't know. I don't want to put phrasing in their mouth, sure. but, but who might agree with that statement. But I think, you know, it, it is an interesting omission. And I do think the language, um, I mean, the reality is the last 10 years have been significant in terms of these issues of equity, Absolutely. not, not, 
least of which are the last two, um, two, well, now we're getting into our third, right. Um, uh, with the pandemic and what's that, what that has sort of exposed in terms of the real consequences of equity being much more visible, um, or lack of equity being much more visible. So I think, yeah, I think we're, we're certainly more cognizant of it, um, both because of the pandemic and because of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And, and, and the Me Too movement. And right. like just so much has happened in, in 10 years that you feel it. You feel it when you read this that, okay, this is like not as evergreen as the rest of it. No, no. And I think, you know, in fairness to talk a little bit to step out of the NRC for a second, like some of the approaches to teaching like ambitious science teaching, which is, is how I think about, about the way that we do our, our uh, pre-service teacher preparation and professional development work that at, in terms of a teaching model, like that has been critiqued. Um, and, and that model is also older in some respects. Um, but it has been critiqued in recent years for not taking equity and, and diversity into account as well as it could have and as explicitly. And I think there's been in the last couple of years, real movement on that, including, yeah. you know, some of the work that that was done in in a book that I co-edited. Right. There was Jessica Thompson and Chris Kirsten Marr and Heather Johnson and, um, and April Lumen and Dee Scipio doing really nice work around this. So I think I think. There has been movement in the field of science education, particularly the last, say, five years, to be much, much, much more explicit about what it means to support learning for all. And your point about all is well taken. There, there were a number of responses to that, to that and the way it's framed in the NGSS, which follows this, um, in terms of, well, what does this mean? Like, it's yeah. real nice to say it's science education for all, but... But that's just a platitude. What what does this actually mean? Boots on the ground in classrooms, um, and I think it's a, it's a well taken point that that just saying all is easy enough. Yeah. Well, I I don't, I don't mean to beat it up. Um, I'm just like it's, it's just a critique. It's um, well, and and you're putting it into its context, right? Right. Which is fair because uh, I think the rest of it, you know, talking about you know other mo- marginalized populations is you know is valid. Like when I talk about you know low SES students who come from low SES backgrounds, you know, when we talk about like um, racial minorities, we talk about you know um, female students. All of that is included, right? All of that is discussed explicitly in this chapter, and then I just go but what else, you know? And, and, and I, I I mean, yeah, I, I I mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say another thing that we could call out that isn't explicitly taken up here that I think has been increasingly important in the, in the literature and the way that we think about, about these issues of justice are, you know, the intersectional nature of this, right? So to think about it, it, you know, socioeconomic status is, is a is a variable but it but it overlaps or is intersectional with lots of other variables that that put people into that variable so if you are black you're much more likely to be poor right and that and yeah. so those things intersect and interweave in in very complex ways and there isn't a sense of that um but i think the flip side of that is i think what i'm now feeling or seeing in this in work in this area is a move away from a focus just on on identity markers as a way of describing diversity right to say like oh we just want to know how many black people there are in class and then that tells us something about diversity and i'm not saying it doesn't but it also 
obfuscate stuff when you when you focus only on identity markers it 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 misses some of the point of what we're really talking about and and there's a really you know interesting and nuanced conversation i think now going on about what is what does equity diversity inclusion and belonging now is added to that list what how do those things manifest in ways that we that shouldn't necessarily be linked to identity markers per se because that that sort of reduces them to that. Yeah. Like all you are is a black person. And so yeah. that's the, that's the attribute that's most important about you. And it, it feels weird to do that. Yeah. And, and so I, I guess that that's, that's my own hang up with this chapter, yeah. but I, I mean, I mean, I, I think there's, there's still lots of good things here. Yeah. That was to... the 10,000 foot view. And now we'll, we'll talk about some of the, the good stuff and the, the things that are important in here. Yeah. So I, I think one is, you know, the, the, you know, uh, you know, the, the language, you know, using, you know, uh, approaching science differently from the, from an asset perspective in terms of students yeah. bringing their own language, their own backgrounds, their own assets to the classroom that we as, as science teachers should be tapping into. And that's something that ties directly to the Brian Brown stuff in, in terms of, you know, how to, you know, draw on students' backgrounds, draw on their, their languages and using that as sort of like springboards for, you know, developing their understanding. And, and that is a, is, it is a shift from, you know, ways that, you know, typically where science was taught, you know, and that's, right. so that's a, that's a big thing. Um, well, let's, yeah, let's stick with that one for a minute and talk about it. So, I mean, I think that that is a big thing and, and asset-based pedagogies have been, you know, that's not a new thing per se, um, but but this idea of thinking about deficits and, you know, one of the ways that this manifests that we have talked about a lot in this show is the idea of misconceptions, right? That That kids come to science with misconceptions, which is to say bad ideas about science that have to be eradicated and and so that one of the big shifts that's related to equity, um, but isn't only about equity, is this is, as you've just described, this idea of treating kids ideas as assets and foundational to the way that we teach science, right? That you want kids ideas because kids ideas are the building blocks for better science ideas for those kids. And so instead of treating them as misconceptions that need to be, you know, removed and, and then being frustrated because we can't remove them because that's part of the research, too. Um, instead we're saying, no, this, these ideas are important. They're, they're, they're beginning ideas about science. And what we're trying to do is help students understand how you get from a beginning idea that maybe doesn't explain all the things, um, and isn't, isn't very clearly articulated to something that's better articulated and more evidence-based and more useful. Like what's that process um, that's what you're really trying to get kids to learn is how, how do they, as science learners, how do they transform an idea that's nascent and maybe isn't that powerful yet into something that is more powerful? Yeah. And so it's in this, this chapter that they're, they're, I mean, there's lots in terms of, you yeah. know, cultural, cultural responsive teaching is in this. Sure. Um, you know, funds of knowledge that's in here. April Lumen is dropped in this chapter. Yep. So friend, friend uh, of the show, friend, of the show, friend yeah. of the show, which I think we could effort her effort to get her. <laughs> uh, I think I, I think I, this may be our last episode. episode 83. 83 I was like, no, can't do it anymore. <laughs> you can't, you can't put I'll, up with it. I double efforted me in one episode and <laughs> yeah. I just can't take it. <laughs> yes. 
doubling down on oh, efforting. Doubling down, and it doesn't mean what you think it means. Either. <laughs> <No. God. laughs> All right, let's stick to equity, man. <laughs> why'd you why'd you effort some doubling down on equity? So yeah, talk about talk about the chapter a little more. I mean, I think culturally responsive, like that language, even that language, I think um, arguably has been maybe not updated, but there've been, you know, nuance, nuances, uh, added to that language. Um, but they do talk about it in here. And I think, I think it's a, it's a good framing of some of this stuff. I mean, there's, so the, the big, the big sections that they talk about in terms of, uh, the, the approaching these practices from an inclusive science education, science instruction, they throw out one as approaching science learning as a cultural accomplishment. Mm. So that's a, that's a big thing. And this is, you know, talking about it from, you know, trying on new identities, trying on, you know, seeing people seeing themselves as being, you know, scientists and being able mm. to see themselves as, you know, something that isn't just about like learning content, but it's also about something, you know, broader than that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's important, you know, because that's, that's something that in certain communities, that's not something that, you know, some students would see, right. They wouldn't see themselves as, you know, as a science person or as a future scientist or doctor or anything, but those are things that we can help to, to manifest. We can help them to see themselves in new ways and try on new identities. And that's cool, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that idea of identity is, is really important in that um, that's to connect back to the, some of the 3d components. Like that's one of the foundational reasons that the science and engineering practices are so important, so important right? is because that's where kids, like if you ask them to do the work, they start to see themselves as being capable of doing the work. And that sounds straightforward and silly on some level, but it's also absolutely true, right? Like if, if science class is just like, you need to memorize stuff, then kids who are good at memorizing will think they're good at science. And there isn't a one-to-one correspondence between those things. There are lots of people who are not good at memorizing, who are great science thinkers. Um, and there's lots of people who are great at memorizing who need more practice being science thinkers because they don't think that way. They think in very linear sort of structured ways. So I think this idea of one of the foundations of equitable practice is is having the students engage in the right. practices. Yeah. And and that by taking on those practices they can you know can have an impact on on how they see themselves, how they see themselves in terms of, you know, accessing information and adding to information and you know developing arguments and all that. Yeah. And that's, that's connected to, you know, theoretically, we've talked about this too, the communities of practice notion, right? Like that, if you, if you want somebody to be a member of a community, the way they become a member of a community is by engaging in the practices of that community and then being recognized by other members of that community as, as engaging in those practices. So when you think about like, this is going to kind of, you know, take a little bit of a, a detour, but I, but I think it's meaningful. Like when you think about like kids in school, and you like talk to a little kid and like, hey, you, you know, what, what were your favorite subjects at school? You know, almost all of them will talk about the thing, the classes in which they are engaging some, some sort of practice, right? Yep. They talk about art, right? Because 
they don't learn art by like watching somebody else make art or talk about like, here's all the famous artists. Right. Like they art do history. Art. Yeah. yeah. They do art. They make mm-hmm. art. Right. And yeah. they go to music class and they m- make music. Right. Yep. Or they go to, you know, phys ed. And there's some kids who love phys ed because that's where they get to move and be, you know, athletes and get to, you know, and yet, you know, or even like in, you know, in, at least in English class, or some, some, sometimes they're writing, right? They're they they're still engaging, you know, in in the act of writing. Yeah. But like, yeah, no, what, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. But but that's exactly that's the shift that needs to happen in science is that they, you know, it's about the practices. It's about like engaging them in the practices that are important to our field, so that they can see themselves as an artist, just a scientist, just like they see themselves as an artist or a musician, right? Right. Exactly. And, you know, I was just struck. I had like, uh, I had a little aha moment there, Ali, uh, which I'm sure, you know, you'll appreciate because we sometimes have aha moments together when we're, we do. when we're together. So, um, so this one um, is sort of a shout out to genuine friend of the show and only guest of the show ever, Leslie Gates. Yeah. Um, and so when you were talking, I was like, I wonder what would happen if we talked about science as it's currently taught as science history class instead of science class to 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 sort of parallel the idea uh, of art history versus art. Like art class, you do art. Art right. history class, you learn about all the people who've done art. You learn all the theory of art. You learn about, oh, here's what composition means. Here's what perspective is. Here's the color wheel. So you know that like these colors go together well yeah. and these colors don't. So if we said actually what all is mostly happening in our schools right now isn't right. science class it's science it's history, history class right so this is chemistry history this yeah. is biology Chem- history physics history yeah. right here's here's isaac newton getting hit on the head with an apple and what he learned from that like come yeah. on now well but what we you know i guess thinking about that going down that rabbit hole a little bit more um, at the college level, they have studio classes, right? They, they, they have that whole group of, of studio classes, which are the ones where they engage in making art, right? I'm, and I'm saying mm-hmm. this because my daughter is, you know, she's a, you know, art and design major. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you, in, over in the science and you have like chemistry, but then you have labs, right? And that's the, so you're, you're right on in, in terms of like how we should be framing this. Because it, it, it communicates something pretty importantly about like how how we teach those classes, yeah, and and from an identity standpoint and a participation standpoint, where we position the students and their role in the classroom, for sure. You know, they're yeah. learning about the history of the science, yeah. not engaging in it. Yeah, and and to bring it back into equity, you know, the the problem with that fundamentally is like the the large body of history in science has been written by old white men, yeah. right? So, or at least white men. Um, so, so that complicates this issue of equity. So that in the sense that if we're teaching science history class, and and it's all whiteified and maleified, <laughs> that, I don't know if you could say efforting, I can say whiteified. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> You know, if it's if it's, you know, all grounded in the white white supremacist history of of not just our country, but sort of culturally where we are right now, um, I think that that is um, a problem for equity. Right. It makes it really makes it really difficult to think about science as a class um, where if science is like art, which I think we think it is and what we're arguing for here, if science is a 
is a living dynamic practice that people engage in, then you don't have to be of a particular kind of person to engage in it because it's just in the same way you don't have to be a particularly kind of person to engage in art or bicycle riding or whatever you want to pick as a practice, right? That th these are things that people do as opposed to people, what people have done. So I think, I think that can be an interesting way to think about equity. Yeah. And I think that, you know, We've we've talked about this before, but I think that you know more conversation needs to happen around that about how we have to you know position our content and our instruction more like the practice based content areas. Yeah, you know more like the arts, more like the uh, music, and and that to me I think is one of the big shifts that need to happen as we start to you know offer this professional development that we're doing across the state and, and, you know, as people engage with this process yeah. is to help them see that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. So, so let's, and then let's step back now to sort of, so, I mean, I think one of the questions was you brought up culturally responsive and funds of knowledge. So I think maybe digging into those terms a little bit to talk about, what do those mean in the context of science and yeah. why, why are those ideas um, in here? Um, so, I mean, so, so the, you want to talk about the funds of knowledge a little bit? Like, yeah. Why don't, why don't I do that? And then you can talk about culturally responsive. So, yeah. um, so Louis Small, um, who is a scholar, uh, education scholar is, is credited with coining this term of funds of knowledge. Um, but I think fundamentally it's a, intuitively, it's a pretty, easy notion. It doesn't mean that it's easy in, in the, its impl, impl, implications or consequences, but, but the notion itself is pretty straightforward, which is to say that human beings over their lifespan develop experience. And that experience can be characterized as funds of knowledge, which is to say, again, in contrast to misconceptions or bad ideas, whatever you want to say, um, wrongness, these, these experiences are part of who we are as human beings. And those funds of knowledge, the reason Luis talks about them as funds of knowledge is for, for exactly the purpose of recognizing them as valuable, right? Yeah. But these are things that people can draw on when they're in an educational context to help them understand the things that you want them to grapple with, right? So they have a way to contextualize what you are helping them to learn, but that can only happen if you're helping them do that work, if you're yep. saying, what experiences do you have that you can bring to bear on this problem that we're trying to solve? So what, what experiences in your life help you better understand what we're talking about? And that, that explicitly activating or engaging with or, or valuing the experiences and, and the knowledge that your students have is drawing on their funds of knowledge to, to organize your classroom. So that's really, I mean, it's much more sophisticated than that. If you want to read yeah. his scholarship and the scholarship that's derived from that, there's lots to read, but that's the fundamental core premise of what funds of knowledge is about. Yeah. It's, it's about getting to know the students you're working with, getting to know the, the cultural assets they bring to the classroom. And, and, and that leads right into culturally responsive teaching. Um, you know, it's all about, you know, 
recognizing the students' prior experiences, recognizing what they bring to the, and how you can tap into that mm-hmm. in order to, to, to make learning. And, it's, and you use that, the term context. You know, it's all about like making learning contextual for the students you're working with mm-hmm. so that you're trying to, you know, tap into. And, and so one of the things we do with our pre-service teachers um, is, so one of the field placements that they do in our, uh, you know, I guess maybe second semester, second year, depending on what program it is, um, they uh, all have a uh, experience in in Lancaster County, uh, Lancaster City. So, which is the you know nearest like urban environment that we have. And so, prior to that experience, we take the students out into the community. So they you know walk the streets, they get to see where kids live, they get to you know go to the church, they you know the whatever school district that was, I mean whichever elementary school or high school we're we're taking the students to. We give them, you know, experience on, on understanding what the community is like so that you know, not, that's, that's not going to give them all the information they need. But it's, you know, at least a, like a taste because we have students who grow up in Lancaster County big who have never stepped foot in Lancaster, Lancaster City themselves. Right. And that, which is kind of wild to think. But that's just how the area is. And so we take them and help, help them experience that so that they have a better understanding of what, you know, kind of backgrounds the students are coming from. Because that's the asset, because that's the thing that, that, that you know, is valuable for teaching like this is, is one, building relationships with your students, getting to know them, getting to know the types of things they're bringing to the classroom and using that and drawing on that. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's all the Brian Brown stuff. That's all like... You know, and and it's a it's a shift in in how you think and how you approach your students. You know, it's the it's that you know that tabula rasa thing that you know or that misconception thing. All of those are out the window. Those are those are you know deficit ways of thinking. Like the students are either coming with these you know horrible ideas about science or like no ideas at all. Those are like that's wrongheadedness in terms of, you know, being able to tap into the things that students have, you know, if you're working with a middle school kid or they've been, you know, going through their life for 10, 11 years as a scientist, whether they know right. it or not, they're making sense of the world around them. Yep. And, and they're doing that in, in very specific ways that's specific to their experiences in their local communities, which is going to be different than my experiences as, you know, yep. some, some guy who grew up in, you know, Western Pennsylvania 50 years ago. Right. Um, and, and to bring that into a micro level. So I, I like the way that you talked about it in terms of this, so like this community mapping idea, like trying to right. understand the community that you're teaching in and to bring that into the micro level, you know, I was saying before this move away from identity markers. I mean, I think one of the ways that happens in practice in classrooms is, you know, instead of thinking like, I need to figure out how to teach black kids or I need, or Latin a kids or students with disabilities or whatever. Like I need that. I need a strategy that's universal for that kind of kid, whatever that identity marker is. This is saying, look, all black kids aren't alike. All yeah. Latin a kids are not alike. All dis- students with who are identified with disabilities are not alike. So how do we, how do I know how to teach a kid? Well, I know how to teach a kid by talking with the kid and trying yeah. to know what that kid's experience is. And so that idea of culturally responsive is really on a micro level in the sense that you know, you shouldn't assume anything about a kid based on their identity markers, right? You, you want to know what kids' experiences are and you want to open the classroom up for them to bring their experiences in, not to try and say like, 
oh, I'm going to, you know, teach black kids by having them write a rap instead of doing an assessment. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, but not all black kids are into rap. Right. And so, and, and even then it's a superficial way of treating culture. It's like, oh, well, that's how I think about, you know, what black people need in, in education. And I think on some level without trying to be, um, you know, going back to the language of science for all, you know, on some level, all kids do need the same thing, which is they need respect. They need yeah. to understand that their ideas are valued. They need to understand that this is a safe place for them to have ideas that aren't hundred percent right. Um, that they can work through with, with the other people in the, in their, in their classroom to try and make those ideas better. Like all kids do need those things. Yeah. So thinking about science teaching that way is, is, is a different approach to equity than saying, okay, I'm going to subdivide my class into all these different identity markers, figure <laughs> out the right pedagogy for each of them and then deliver it to them. I mean, that's an insane way to think about science teaching or any kind of teaching. Yeah. And that's, and that's going to, uh, that's going to fall on it, like land on the students in a, in a really clunky way. They're going to be like, yes, really, really? Sure. No, they're going to no. get, they're, they're going to really old on. white guy. This <laughs> yeah. is what, this is what you're going to do. Hey, we're going to write raps today yeah. in physics class. I, I will say I have never done that. I have nope, never, I. I can, I'm proud to say that I've never done that. And so, no, but, but I, you know, my guess is there's lots of less identity marker based versions of this. Like the one that comes to mind that we've also sort of talked about and debunked is the learning styles one, yeah. right? Which is like, okay, I'm going to have an assessment and I'm going to let some kids do an interpretive dance. And I'm going to let some kids do a song and I'm going to let some kids paint a picture and I'm going to let some kids do. And, and the, the notion behind it is laudable, but, but this idea that like kids are of one kind, they have a learning style in the, and that, that they that gets identified uh, at one time point and then is true forever like, yeah that that is just a crazy idea and so so i think i think this idea of trying to understand what responsiveness that part what what does that really mean what does it mean to be a responsive teacher and that's where so much power and opportunity exists around equity is in that one little word um, if you really take it seriously and understand what it means we should do an we should do an episode just around like the pervasive myths or the pervasive. Oh, it'd be a long episode. Uh, it would be because, like, you know, we just had this co the conversation at the house the other day about the Myers Briggs. You oh, know, God. like all of us, like, what are you? You and ENFJ, and I, you know, and it's like, oh gosh, that was. And, I remember gaming that when I was in in uh, graduate school getting my master's to, to teach. And we had a group of us taking the test. And I remember us like intentionally, and like, I know how this question is, what uh, this is asking me. And you can game that thing to come out the way that you want it to. Like we were trying to come out. So we were equally balanced in all of the four little quadrants. Right? So you, like, yeah. Yeah. You're like, Oh, I can't, I've had two of those. So I got to have one of these. That's, a, that's funny. Oh, just, but but that, but that whole notion of like, I'm going to give you this little like multi-question exam and that's going to tell me who you are, Ali, as a learner. And now I've got you sorted out and I can just teach you based on the fact that you're this kind of a person. I mean that. Yeah. It's, 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 but, but it's, it's reductive. Right. And that's, I think the point is that with this whole thing it worked. It's, it's really about not being reductive, right? It's really right. about like saying, okay, we're not going to be able to just 
identify a student by their whatever, right? Whatever designation you want to use, you know, racial or, you know, gender or whatever and say, okay, I'm going to teach the, the girls like this. I'm going to teach right. the, it's, it's about getting to know the students that are you're working with and how best to work with them. And that means understanding their backgrounds, understanding, you know, the cultures, understanding their discourse, understanding all of that stuff. And that's hard, but you know what? It's, it's actually better yeah. because it, it, that's the part about, you know, I think if there's anything about this pandemic that's been the hardest for students and for teachers, it's about the, the lack of relationship building that they, mm-hmm. that, you know, they have not been able to engage with their students, you know, like they, they, they used to, and the students were not be able to engage with their teachers like they used to. And I think now that things are opening back up, I think we're getting some of that, but that it's been a trying two years for yeah. a lot of teachers and students, and we're seeing the impacts of that. But I mean, this, this is, is communicating that, you know, we have to, we have to value that. We have to value yeah. that at, not just because it's like nice for kids, but it's better for science teaching, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's better for everything. Right. I mean, and, and I think, yeah, building on that. Yeah. It's that idea of like respecting and, and recognizing as valuable the ideas of other people. Right. And, and that is that can be, especially let's be honest for secondary science folks can be a real challenge because you, we are trained in that rightness notion of the way the world works. And so a kid says something that is non-canonical and we're immediately like, Oh, so what a disappointing description of density. I mean, that was terrible. Like density is not that hard. Like it's just a ratio of two things. So why are you saying this stupid stuff about it? And I'm so, but I'll solve it for you. I'll just tell you what density is. And then we're all sorted out. Uh, Replace, replace your words with my words. Yeah. And that, that sorts it all out because, because words, uh, words are unambiguous, right? Words, you, you just like say a word and everybody knows exactly what you mean. If only that were true. So, yeah, I think, I think this idea of, um, like, I, you know, the NRC really um, is, you know, I think, I think it is, it, uh, it does feel a little dated, but I think the thing that is valuable here is there is a real intent or intention to try and say, look, equity isn't, I mean, they didn't do a great job in this exactly, but equity isn't just a bolt on thing that you add at the end equity should be foundational to how you operate in a, in any teaching environment and in a science teaching environment in particular, because these have consequences. It's funny that you say that, which is exactly what they did. In the I know chat. they did. Well, and it, in fairness, it's even worse in the NGSS because they haven't, it's not even in the standards, it's an appendix and it's not yeah. even in the top, what, five appendices. We've talked about this. It's like yeah. appendix F or something. So uh, yeah. Yeah. It is, okay. it is something worth, which is almost, you know, to, to me, it, it needs to be more central and they could, have, more, they could have efforted it better. As well. Right. I, and I appreciate how you've uh, replaced your words with my words. I love it. <laughs> so I hey. understand what that word means Ollie, so I can use it now. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, I appreciate also that, you know, every time I've used it, you've, you've mocked me for it. Yeah. Is this how you would teach science? Huh? Yes. I, if, well, there, I will, in fairness, <laughs> a foundational principle uh, to my teaching is sarcasm and mocking. So it, it is part of my core competency. Just because I'm using efforting in a non-canonical way. <laughs> you, I, yeah. I, mm, yeah. 
Mm. Mm. I think we should move on to joys now. I think we've covered the equity for today. I think I think the time has come for joy uh, yeah. because otherwise it's going to transition to some darker emotion. I, I get stuck landing there i did is that what that was that's what it was it was <laughs> you, were, you really efforted you the landing into into perfection i have a grin on my face for all of you who are listening at home i i'm just want to describe the big grin on my face that i and, have and i am i am it is gigantic <laughs> i am in physical anguish i am actually bent over in, in pain he is, he is because, <laughs> because because of all the suffering that i've been put through as a result of that one word. But let's so, talk about real joy. Real joy. So uh, I'm going to call out a specific episode of Radio Lab. Wow. All right. I mean, I've, I think I, I've talked about Radio Lab as a joy, but yeah. I'm going to talk about a specific episode. Um, I think it was called The Exorcism of Helen Keller. Mm. I think it fits nicely. Oh, I think I've seen this or heard it's, this. It's it's a it's a recent episode. So, you know, go if you're, you know, go to your podcast app and, you know, go back into sometime in March of 2022. Um, and I think it's I'm pretty sure it's called The Exorcism of uh, Helen Keller. And the episode um, is all around, I guess, some some time about uh, maybe about a year or so ago. There was a, a Twitter phenomenon or it was trending on Twitter that uh, that Helen Keller wasn't real that it, it was a fraud. Oh, right. It was fake. The Helen Keller was a fake. Yes. Says, how can you be deaf and, and blind and not be able to speak and, and, and yeah. And learn, you know, right. which is, it ties nicely to, to the things we're it talking does. about today. Um, so they can, they go right at this, which radio lab does from a, you yeah. know, a research standpoint. Uh, but the greatest part about the episode is that all of the experts and guests that they brought in were people who were who described themselves or were designated as being deafblind. Uh. So, like right from the beginning, the first person that you hear um, is a, a writer who write who's written for Marvel and is deaf and blind, and and she's communicating and talking, and it's just like mm -hmm. okay hold on. And, and it's like, okay, so if Helen Keller's not real, no, then I'm not say, real. Yeah, right. And then they have um, a person later who is, was the first deafblind person from uh, that was um, who graduated from Harvard law and, there and who's brilliant. And, of course. and so, and she's, she's talking and th before they, so in sometimes in the episodes, they were, talk specifically how that person is accessing or participating in the in the in the interview so sometimes it was like hey you know the, the, someone's typing or someone's translating or whatever right but it's just so awesome because it just goes at it like straight for forward from a and in radio lab always does this storytelling thing where mm -hmm. you know it's a, it was just a great episode and it's something that i think is really powerful and something i think is if you've you're interested in this stuff if you're interested in in um, I mean, cause that's where, that's where my hangup is with that is that except for a few notable exceptions, well, right. I think that like that, that to me is like that um, maybe those, the, the students that were, or the people that were in this episode, right. All of these experts, mm -hmm. I mean, 
would they have been put in that with a notable exception? I mean, that's yeah. the challenge for me. It's like, well, what are the notable exceptions? Right. And what do we mean by what complex thinking and complex learning? And engage, what do we mean by engage? Because all of those things, it's just that like all of the individuals who are you know, in this episode were able to learn really complex things mm-hmm. and yep. really able to participate. Like the one is a writer for Marvel, which is like, to me, it's like the, like, yeah. Come on, you know, me as a, you know, yeah, comic book geek, that nerd, is like, yeah. that is like, I'm far more impressed by that than the person who graduated from yeah. Harvard Law. I mean, Law. anybody can go to Harvard Law. Harvard Law. <laughs> they let in anybody. They Marvel. Marvel. Come on. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an awesome episode. You got to check it out. So, okay, cool. Out. Yeah. I will definitely listen to that. Um, yeah, I go, I go in jags on radio lab. So usually it'll be a while, it'll be a while. And then all of a sudden I'll listen to one and I end up listening to like seven in a row. Cause they're great. Um, okay. So my joy this week is a book, um, that I've been reading and it's sort of an academic book. Um, it's not sort of an academic book. It, it's an academic book, but, um, but it's relevant and I've really been enjoying it and it's really been helping me think about these issues of equity in, in ways, in new ways, right? So it's a, it's a book called White Folks by Tim Lensmeyer, and he's a professor at uh, Minnesota. Um, and he uses, um, he uses a lot of scholars of color um, in his thinking. So, so, you know, people like Ralph Allison, um, people like Reverend Tendeika, um, and he, he unpacks, I mean, basically the, the, the idea of the book, and I don't know if this was his thesis or if it was later research, but the idea of the book is to understand how white people construct whiteness. Um, in particular, he was interested in this for people who um, are people like him who grew up in, he grew up in rural Wisconsin and who don't actually have a lot of access or interaction with people of color. So how, how do people like, how do those people know what it means to be white and how does that happen? Um, and it's a fascinating book. It's, it's starts out with some sort of theory stuff. And then he really has interviews with groups of, he, I think there's seven or eight people that he interviews that were all sort of people who grew up in his hometown. And, and, uh, and it really, I mean, I I don't want to go too in depth into it, but I think it's it's a it's a short book. It's it's a relatively easy read, even though it's an academic book, um, and it's fascinating, uh, especially as a white person, to understand something that that um, I both take for granted and have never really interrogated about myself. About how is it that I, what is it that it means to be white, and how do I know that I'm white, and what is it what is that? how does that get constructed over my life? Um, so it's a really interesting book. Um, and I, I recommend it. It's bringing me, bringing me joy. That's awesome. And that's what, yeah. that's the point, right? That's, that is joy. the point. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's why we talk and that's why we end the episode this way. Yeah. Every, every episode ends with joy. Just a, um, a slight correction. The episode was the Helen Keller exorcism, not the exorcism uh. of. So I think that, difference is important so the helen keller exorcism all right all right so radio lab or uh white folks or both if you're if you're in that kind of mood yeah Yeah. well hey thanks for being here thanks for being here we'll see you next time in between yeah bye now